Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and the Lord is calling his disciples in Matthew chapter 4. These are the, he's kicking off his ministry, his earthly ministry, and he's beginning to choose his disciples. Matthew chapter 4, verse number, well, let's just go back to verse number 18. The Bible says, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I would do a deep dive into make you fishers of men, but in the Greek and in the English, it's the exact same thing. It's just very simply this, I'm going to teach you to tell others about salvation. It, it, that's the simple command. What is also interesting is that the next time or the last time that the Lord speaks, so the first time he speaks to his disciples, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the last time he speaks to his disciples, before he's transfigured, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, right? And, then, and uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So the first thing he says to disciples and the last thing he says to the disciples is tell others about Jesus. But there are some um, hindrances, I think, sometimes. Uh, we get in our own way um, when, when asked to tell about the Lord. But I'd like to give you some uh, statistics and if I think I, Mike, I think I gave you this book last night, Surprising Ins, or I gave you the title of the book, uh, Surprising Insights of the Unchurched, has some great statistics in there from Tom Rayner. Here's what he says. Only 14% of pastors claim their churches are involved in evangelism. And only one out of three churches ever train anyone to evangelize. Now, normally I would say, well, that just can't be true. That's not possible. Uh, it's evangelism is the engine that drives the church it it's not possible that that many pastors however when i came to first baptist in colville and i was candidating do you know that i couldn't find a track in the church i couldn't find a card uh, for invitation to invite someone to church now there was a reason for that they had gone 18 months without a pastor and then they had a pastor for six years and then they were in another middle of an 18 month stint without being without there being a pastor there. And so they felt like, you know, how do I invite someone to come to church when I'm not really thrilled about, you know, the situation that we find our, our church in? Do you realize that the Great Commission is, is not prefaced by if your church is doing fantastic? If you have a pastor that you love, if that was the case, First Baptist probably wouldn't uh, be doing much in the area of evangelism. Uh, listen, we're called to fulfill the Great Commission, and um, we've, got to, we've got to be telling people about guests. Do you realize that 75% of people who come to church do so because they were invited? If we're waiting for people to come to church... If we're sitting back and saying, you know, Lord, please send someone to church, but we're not inviting someone to come to church, the likelihood of them coming to church is very 
small. Now, when I preach on evangelism, and some call it witnessing, some call it soul winning, everyone calls it scary, right? That's the reality. But I think that we call it scary because we've forgotten Matthew chapter 4 and 19. He says, and I say to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So that if I was to title my message this morning, it would be this, gone fishing, the key to enjoying evangelism. Um, do, there are enough older individuals here. Do you remember the Andy Griffith show? Three o'clock in the afternoon as I was out of school, the Andy Griffith show would come on, followed by Lassie. Everything's, you know, I, I watched all those reruns. And, um, and at the beginning of that, Opie has his fishing pole and he's walking down the road and they're whistling the theme song to Andy Griffith. Do you know Opie looks like he's getting ready to go have some fun? Why? Because he was going fishing. That's not the way that we view evangelism. We don't view it as something that we enjoy. We do it as something like we feel guilted into. But I want to change our perspective a little bit um, because the disciples were professional fishermen. This is what they did. It's what even I would go so far as to say they enjoyed. And so... He, the Lord says, listen, you enjoy catching for fish. I'm going to teach you how to enjoy fishing for souls. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. So let me give you some reasons why we don't enjoy it. And now I'll get to our main points this morning. Sometimes we don't enjoy it. And I think because we psych ourselves out. I used to study sales when I was in sales before I became a pastor. And Zig Ziglar used to say, and he used to sell pots and pans. Uh, he said, I could sit outside of a house and I could tell you whether they were going to say yes or no without ever having talked to the, to the people inside. Then he realized that's a terrible way to do sales because he would psych himself out and say, I'm not going to go knock on that door. They're going to say no. And he hasn't even talked to anybody yet. I think sometimes we think that they think we're weird. Now, if you're weird, it's not because you're giving the gospel, right? <laughs> um, I think sometimes we get anxious because we think we need to have the answers to every biblical question that they're going to pose. Can I tell you, I don't, as a pastor who studies the Bible every day, I don't have the answers to every question that someone might ask, but I do have the answer to the most important question how to know Jesus Christ as your savior. And I also think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to quote unquote succeed. And what is succeeding? It's actually leading someone to the Lord. So whether you're on their doorstep or whether you're at the office or whether you're at the grocery store, we feel like if today I don't win them to the Lord, then I failed. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. Notice that there are two things that are our responsibility, and there's one thing that's God's responsibility. And I always tell people, stay in your lane, right? You do the things you're responsible for. You're responsible to tell them about Jesus. Plant and water. And then God is responsible to draw them to himself. Do you know that I've never convinced anyone to trust Christ as Savior? I've never had this fantastic, you know, way of explaining things, put it right down on their level. And they're like, oh, well, since you said it that way, pastor, then I'm definitely getting saved. Nope. 
I sat in, a, in the office this past week with, a, with an agnostic um, who is um, saying, listen, I'm not going to be convinced to trust Christ as Savior, but I want my marriage to be good. And so I, I really want to know what does the Bible have to say about marriage. That's interesting, right? He, has, he comes to me and he's like, well, the reason I'm here is because my wife wants me to be here. <laughs> Do you know that I was able to go through the whole plan of salvation with him? And he stared right in my eyes. Not interested. Guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to convince him sitting on the couch in my office to trust Christ as Savior. But I can tell you this. I planted and I watered and we ought to celebrate our responsibility and we ought to let God do his responsibility, which is to draw them. So you don't need to have all the answers. And, and you don't have to worry about someone thinking you're weird. And you don't have to worry about succeeding. You just need to tell others about Jesus. So now let's get to our points on why or how to enjoy soul winning or how to enjoy fishing. First of all, be prepared. I don't know how many of you like to fish, but I am, I am an avid fisherman. So I started in a pond in Indiana. And bluegill and crappie and catfish, and, and that's what I fish for. But when we moved to Houston, we got to do deep sea fishing. And so, and then I had someone in our church who was the brown trout record holder for the state of Texas custom fly rod maker and he's like hey would you like to learn to fly fish and that is that's really what I love to do there is never a day that I wake up when it's time to go fishing that I'm dreading the day I'm like oh I just don't know I don't know if I can go out there and spend all day fishing uh, I'm looking forward to it but the reason is because people who enjoy fishing are prepared they have their well I guess if you're going out deep sea fishing you got your fish finder and you've got your boat and you've got your tackle and your ice and your rod and your reel and you know you've got everything that you need in order to go fishing you know one of the reasons we don't share the gospel is we're not prepared to share the gospel I like the cards that you guys have on your back table I picked one up because we use something very similar at our church has the simple plan of salvation on the back of it and then has our meeting times of an invitation we use these every time that we're out um, this is this is our preparation. I keep them in the back pocket of my jeans. My wife keeps them in her purse. I have them all over my cars. I have different ones, different places, because, you know, I've already seen that person at McDonald's, so I'm going to go ahead and give them a different one. Hey, last week I gave you the, you know, this color one. Here's, the, here's a brand new one. Um, all the restaurants in Colville, uh, six of them, um, and, you know, no, hey, when they come in, Pastor Dennis is going to bring me a card, you know, and we'll be able to trade them uh, with each other here pretty soon. Um, but we're prepared. In fact, uh, my son's car, his engine blew uh, here a few weeks ago, and we have worked on getting a replacement for that, and we finally found one. And while we were at uh, dealing with one of the used car salesmen, uh, before we left the lot, we, we gave him one of these and said, hey, listen, um, the most important thing that we could do is tell you about our, our Savior. Now, in 2010, I was not as adamant about soul winning. I was in the ministry. I was a youth pastor. But I went to a conference and I, and I heard and watched in these classes men who really knew how to explain the gospel. And I developed a great burden in my, I said, that's not me, but I want that to be, I want that to be me. And I learned this, this phrase, and maybe you guys could use it in being prepared. 
my wife and I use this exclusively at restaurants. You know that awkward time between when they're taking your order for your drink, whether you want water, iced tea or whatever, and then time they go get it and get back and you're trying to pray and they're coming back and they're standing there with their tray waiting for you to finish up. So what I just said, hey, listen, you just took our drink order. You're gonna go prepare a meal. In just a minute, we're gonna pray. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? The first time I used that in 2010, I had just finished the conference. I came back to Houston, Texas. We were sitting at a restaurant. We had a singing group at our church, and so we had taken them out for a meal. And the server looked at me and said, yes, you can pray for me and my wife. We're having awful marriage trouble. So right there at the table, he just took a step closer, and we prayed for him and his wife. He came back with our meal, and he said, would you mind if, if I went and got my wife? She's actually the cook in the back of this restaurant could she come out and then you guys pray over her too and so so they came out and then my wife and I struck up a friendship with them the next week I told them I said hey listen do you like baseball we'll take you down to the Houston Astros game and we'll sit in the nosebleeds well they have a a $30 section it's all you can eat till the seventh inning <laughs> I'm a Baptist man I can do that let's go now, what I didn't know is that they serve smaller portions there, so you have to go back more times. That did not, did not deter us. Uh, we ate our $30 worth of hot dogs and peanuts and nachos, and I was fantastic. So we took, them, we took their family, and we went and to the Houston Astros game, and it wasn't long before we had led them to the Lord, and they began attending our church, and, and I began to see the, what the Lord meant by enjoying fishing. And now at every restaurant, I told Mike this yesterday, I said, you know, there's only been twice that I've been told no. There's nothing that you can pray for me about. Um, both in Seattle. So as soon as, <laughs> as soon as they left the table, I turned to who we were with and I said, they need prayer. They just don't know it. So we're going to pray for them anyway. <laughs> oh, goodness. We were at a pastor's conference in Cannon Beach, Oregon, and there was a restaurant, and um, we had uh, six pastors sitting around a table, and the waitress came up, and I, I did what I always do. I had one of these cards, and I said, hey, listen, is there anything I could pray for you about before we pray for our meal? And she said, one of the waitresses in our restaurant passed away, and tomorrow we're closing the restaurant. We're going to have our funeral, and our district manager's coming in, it would be great if you could pray for our staff. So right there at the table, they pulled all their waitresses and the district manager and the person behind the counter, and they all stood around our table, and we prayed for them and for the passing of one of their friends. And then when I, they left, one of the pastors said, do you do this all the time? Only one in three. <laughs> Yeah, I do it all the time. It's part of, it's in my memory. It's part of my makeup. It's part of who I am now. But I enjoy it and I've seen the Lord use it. And I think if we could see the Lord get a hold of someone's life and change them and they began coming to church. When you sit in church next to someone who you know doesn't know the Lord is their savior, you sit in church differently. You sing differently. You pray differently. You feel differently about the service because you're hoping that they get a little bit of Jesus. By the way, this isn't my plan. I didn't say, go make disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Um, he says, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. 
this is interesting, we need to meet them where they are, win them to the Lord and bring them to church with us. Um, you know, the Lord did not send the world to church. He sent the church to the world for us to bring them in. You know, um, I've attended certain uh, church growth conferences. Do you know one of the things that's often missing, missing at a church growth conference? Evangelism. There are breakout sessions on dealing with first impressions. So as soon as someone, you know, there's people that this, this is all they do. When they walk into your church, you know, what are the, what are the graphics? What are the, what's the type of atmosphere that they experience when they first walk into your church? And when they sit down and, and how you greet them and all those things. But few of these church growth conferences actually deal with evangelism. And so, as I said before, I think evangelism is the engine that drives the church. And what we've done is we have, a, we have oftentimes a church with no engine, but we're putting new rims on it. And we're spray painting. You know, my son's car just blew up. I tell you, the, the last thing I'm going to do is throw a set of rims on there. Right? What are you going to do? Push it down the road? Is this a go-kart? No. Listen, there's a... There's a reason why we said, hey, listen, that's not going to work anymore. We either have to replace the engine or we have to get a new car. There isn't a backup plan. The Lord has given this to us as a church. We need to be prepared to share the gospel. So we need to enjoy fishing. And the only way that we're actually going to enjoy fishing is if we're prepared. So let me encourage you. Pray and ask the Lord. Everyone has a different way of doing this. And I'm certainly not the one going to tell you that one way works better than another. I've just found for personality-wise what works best for me. And here's what D.L. Moody said. I, I really like this. A lady came to D.L. Moody after a conference one time and said, I don't like the way that you do evangelism. And he said, I don't like it either. How do you do it? And she said, I don't. Then he goes, I like my way better. <laughs> right uh i heard this one time um in in school it's anything worth doing is worth doing poorly now, i didn't like that at first because i'm like wait a second we're supposed to do our very best but do you know that 30 seconds of brushing your teeth is better than not brushing your teeth at all even though i know you're supposed to do it for two minutes but 30 seconds is better than nothing do you realize that even if you evangelize poorly, it's better than not doing it at all? So first is be prepared. Second is be patient. Here's what, I'd like to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Since we're already in, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, it's not a big jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is being patient as a fisherman. This is Paul and he's writing to the church there in Corinth. And there's people going around saying, you know, I like Paul. And others going, I like Apollos. And Paul says, none of that's even important. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This is verse 6, verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 3. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Notice that the reward is for planting and watering. Isn't that interesting? 
We think the reward's coming because we get to reap the harvest. And the Lord's like, I'm the one helping you reap the harvest. But there's reward for planting and for watering because that's our responsibility. When it comes to witnessing, there are things that we're responsible for. If we don't plant and if we don't water, I'll tell you this, we'll never see the harvest. The reason is because, you know, God doesn't even need a farmer to, to grow wheat. He could grow it at the corner of Fifth Avenue in downtown New York right through the concrete if he wanted. But he doesn't choose to work that way. He chooses to use a farmer. And in the same way, he chooses to use us to bring the gospel to others. But I will say this, you have to be patient. There are no two fishing days alike. I'll tell you about the worst fishing day I had. Houston, we left out of Freeport, just uh, near, out between Galveston and Houston. Or no, uh, excuse me, uh, between Corpus Christi and, and Galveston. Um, we left out of Freeport and we spent all day and the waves really kicked up. We went 20 miles out. We took a big hook and we hooked off to a, an oil rig and we backed the boat out and we were waiting for the shrimp boats to tie off. They do the same thing. The shrimp boats take their nets and they drop them. Well, guess what? When the shrimp are coming off the nets, the extras, these big fish swirl around. So we're waiting on these and then the seas kick up and now we're in six foot seas on this Boston whaler and all of us are green in the face and we just do not feel well at all. So we untie and we go back behind the jetty behind the wall, and that whole day after getting sick and everything, I caught a rock, because it had barnacles on the side of it and my hook dragged on it. I caught a rock and a blue crab. That was it. The whole day. It was frustrating. I went home. I was so upset. I took my rod and reel to a pay pond with my wife and fished in the afternoon just so I could catch something. I hate getting skunked. The best day was actually also just outside of Houston on a lake and we were fishing for white bass in about 5.45, 5.35, when the sun just comes up in the summertime, the white bass feed on top in schools and they look, it, it's magnificent. They're just silver and they're just feeding on top and you, we literally caught our limit in 25 minutes. 30 fish a piece. We were just casting into this mass of fish and just pulling one route out of them, out another. And then we were done. We were done. By 6.30 in the morning, we had had the boat out of the water. We were headed back home. I get home. My wife's like, what are you doing home? I'm like, we're done. This is all we could catch. This is the legal limit. She says, what happened? I said, best day ever. <laughs> right? This is fantastic. Do you know what? I've had the best day ever when it comes to giving the gospel. And there's other days I've been skunked. In fact, I sat in a hospital room at the DeBakey Heart Center. The man who, who developed the first valve, they actually have a heart center in Houston, Texas. He was from Houston. And down, downtown at the medical center, I sat in DeBakey Heart Center. I got a call from Arizona to our church and says, you don't know me, but I have a brother who is having a heart transplant and and we don't know that he's going to make it. He's not very healthy. And so would you go visit him and give him the gospel? I said, well, you know, I've not really been well received at hospitals when I haven't been invited. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm up for that. And they said, would you please? I said, sure, I'll go. So went down, went in and said, hey, your sister called. She said that she goes to church and 
that you grew up going to church, but you don't know the Lord as your Savior, and so I brought my Bible. I'd just like to sh sit down and share the gospel with you. Is it, would that be okay? He said, sure, go ahead. So I shared the gospel. I said, would you like to do that? He says, no. I said, well, maybe you misunderstood. Maybe I didn't do a very good job. So let me, do a, let me go at this from a different angle, and I gave, them, I gave him the gospel again. And I said, would you like to do that? This time he has tears in his eyes. Because I said, your sister's going to be in heaven. There's going to be a great reunion on the shores of glory. If you were to die, you would be reunited once again. He's, he's got tears in his eyes. I said, would you like to do that? He said, no, I would not. We talked for about 20 more minutes. And then just before I left, I said, let me try one more time. I gave him the gospel a third time. Would you like to do that? No. I walked out of that room and cried in my car. Because I was like, oh, if he dies on the operating table, he's going to spend a lifeless eternity in hell. I don't want that to happen. I was, I got home, I told my wife, worst, I'm the worst pastor ever. I couldn't even get a guy who's about ready to die on a surgery table. I couldn't get him to trust Christ as Savior. You know, I was she says, hey, you remember that conference we went to? You know, that's not your responsibility. That's, you know, she's reminding me of what I'm reminding of you of today. I've had the worst day, and then I've had other times where I've actually had people come and knock on the church door, and they walk in into the office and say, I need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm like, I got fish jumping in the boat. I didn't have to, I didn't have to go fishing. Whether it's the day that you're catching your limit or a day that you're discouraged, I can tell you this. It's the plan that God uses to bring others to himself. But we have to tell someone about Jesus. Individuals who enjoy fishing, they're individuals who are prepared and they are patient. You know, there are some people you'll pray for for years before they trust Jesus Christ as their savior. Don't give up. And then the last one I want you to say, people who enjoy fishing are people who practice fishing right um there are different types of fishing there's in the pond that i grew in our neighborhood that i that i grew up in uh fishing in uh we did bobber fishing you know you just put a bobber on there and you cast it out there and you just kind of sit there with your friends and you're getting tadpoles in one hand and you're chasing down the turtles and you're watching the line but you're not really it's not active right there's bobber fishing and you're waiting for that fish to strike um, there's spinner fishing, you know, so you're casting out there like we do with bass and you just kind of, you know, kind of go across the top of the water, fly fishing and net fishing. But every one of them takes practice. I was so bad at fly fishing when I started, I literally paid a man to teach me how to cast correctly. It cost me 40 bucks. I was so bad at it, I was willing to pay $40 for someone to teach me 10 and 2. I'm like, I don't get it. Why do I keep getting knots in my line? Every time I cast it forward, it looks like, you know, just this big mess. So we went downtown Houston. They have, the, they have this business park and they have ponds. And we, I felt pretty silly, but I'm standing here at the, there, where there's no fish. I'm standing there on the edge of this, this water. And I know that there are guys like, what is that guy doing? There's nothing out there. But I stood there with the guy and, and practiced casting until I could do it correctly. Did you know that the disciples of Jesus used all types of different methods, but they all practiced? 
Matthew, or he's known as Levi when we first see him in the, in the New Testament. He has a book with his name on it. Um, he is a businessman, a tax collector. And when he is converted, what he does is, because he's in business, he's like, hey, listen, I'm gonna have all my friends over to my house and we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a dinner. These are guys that I work with. These are guys that, that I know. And so he has a banquet for his for his business, his colleagues, his other taxpayers, these other publicans, and, and that's who he, how he reaches out. As far as we know, scripturally, Andrew never leads someone to the Lord himself, but he's always bringing someone to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So Andrew, one of the first disciples, he says, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. The next time that we see Andrew, he's bringing his brother with him, who also becomes a disciple. And guess who brings the lad with the fishes and loaves? Andrew. He is on top of things. He's like, hey, listen. You know, he's got his little card. He's like, hey, listen, I need you to come and see Jesus. I, I, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come and, and see Jesus. And um, we see that. Do you know the blind man who is healed in the New Testament, he has a different way. He just gives everybody his testimony. Here's what he says. I once was blind. Now I can see pretty simple how about the woman at the well he says uh, listen I know that you've had multiple husbands the guy you're with now isn't your husband and she says come and meet Jesus who told me all things right he tells her to go and sin no more and what does she do the first thing she does is go and tell her friends Jesus has changed my life that's who I used to be if you have just a moment since you're in I think you're still in first Corinthians 3 let's go to first Corinthians 6 I know this isn't part of my message, but it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Um, did I say 1 Corinthians 6? Yeah. Um, it says, in, now it, it starts off rough, right? So <laughs> give it just a second. Uh, verse number 9, 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, drunkards, or revilers, nor excuse, uh, uh, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the best, I feel, one of the best verses in the New Testament. And such were some of you. If we're doing our job winning people to the Lord, there's going to be people who says, that's who I used to be. And, and any of these sins uh, could have been present. But then he goes on to say, not only were some of you that, but he says, now you are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What does evangelism do? It takes someone from death to life. That's exciting, right? It's something that we can look forward to. But I think that we put a little bit too much pressure on ourselves. So let me just say this, whatever method you're comfortable of using to tell your friends about Jesus, you just need to start doing it. I told you that in 2010, I became extremely convicted about personal evangelism myself. Um, it has changed the deep, because I am deeply convinced of that, it changed the DNA of the church in Colville because when I came to candidate, I told them this. And I think that they, they may have thought that's a good thing to be about. I'm not sure that they realized how passionate I was that we're gonna be in our community 
telling people about Jesus. But I told him, I said, hey, listen, if I come, then we need to start becoming a church that tells others about Jesus. We had, and for practical reasons, we had kind of circled the wagons and we were just hoping not to lose anyone else. But there's a difference between playing not to lose and playing to win. And so we wanted to see people come to know Jesus. Can I tell you that, we, that our church was so nervous about giving the gospel that it took me three years to get them to go to the doors of our town? Three years of talking about it before they actually did it. So we have 1,600, technically 1,650 homes inside the city limits of Colville. And I told our church, if we had 200 people show up on a Saturday, each of us would take eight doors and everyone in town would get an invitation to First Baptist in one day. We'd be done. We'd do the whole town. So we, we still do that. Once a year, we get to every door in our town. But listen, I relieve some of the pressure. The reason is because I told them, you don't actually have to say anything. Just take this invitation and put it on their door. Would you do that? I'm telling you, we only do it once a year, but it has helped our community so much. We've had so many people come and say, hey, listen, I found this on my door. Heard, we usually do it around Easter for our Easter services. Um, we've, been, we've been looking for a church, but no one's ever reached out to us. Thanks for doing that. And they would come and sit in the services. Um, we started doing some outreach events that we had never done before. We did little ones where we just, you know, had invited them to the church. Other times we were out in the community itself. We found different ways. I can tell you this, what worked in Houston did not work in Colville. Different people, different mindsets. And so we had to find what worked for us. Um, I still remember the first time that we started just even a follow-up program. So when people would come to our church, uh, I said, hey, listen, uh, deacons, I'd like to get a little gift bag together. It has a coffee mug with our church name on it and some candy to put in there and some coffee. And we'll, we'll take it to their door and just thank them for being a part of our services and ask them if they have any questions about our church. I just want to do that. And I still remember um, in that deacons meeting, they're like, no, nah, pastor, that's not going to work here. I said, what's not going to work? They said, yeah, we don't go visit people. It's like, no, we do now. We, go, we're, we gotta go visit someone. We gotta go tell them that we're thankful that they came. And I still remember one of our deacons said, I don't know if I could do that. I said, well, you're gonna come with me. He says, I think they're just gonna say no. I said, will you come with me to the first one? He says, I will. So we went to the door and I just said, my name is Pastor Dennis. This is our deacon. And uh, we're here just to let you know how thankful we, we came. We have a gift for you. Is there anything that we could a answer for you about the church? And she says, Honey, the people from the church are here. And she got her husband. She, she says, grab the cookies and we already have some coffee on. Would you guys like to sit down? We spent the next 35 minutes trying to leave. <laughs> we had others that we were supposed to be getting to that night, but we, we didn't. It would, he thought we were just gonna sit and, and just have a quick conversation. We found out that there are people who are interested in the gospel if we would just invite them into a relationship this is something not only that I'm passionate about, but I feel like it's the only real way to build a New Testament church is by seeing people come. Can I tell you that be, you probably have, maybe your background, if you've been in church for any length of time, 
you probably know that smaller churches kind of have a power dynamic depending on how many families and how many and everybody in Colville is related some way or another. Um, they've been there so long, their families are intertwined. I can't, you can't talk bad about anyone because everybody, you know, you shouldn't talk bad about anyone. That's what I meant to say. You shouldn't talk bad about anyone uh, <laughs> because who knows who you're talking to. Um, but I can still remember, boy, there being a little bit of a power dynamic. Do you know what really changes a power dynamic in a church? When one-third of your church are all new believers and you're the only pastor that they've ever known. Then all of a sudden it's like we have to lift our eyes up and say, hey, how do we minister? We had to start an entire discipleship program because we had so many people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. Now we're asking this question, what do we do now? Now that we have them saved, what do we do? And so we actually had to work on getting a discipleship program set up. And then I still remember the first time we tried to do that. The, one of our deacons said, 14 weeks, that seems like a long time. And I said, do you know how long it's going to take us to disciple them on Sunday mornings from the pulpit? 20 years. We need to be able to sit down and say, this is who God is, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what baptism means, and, and this is what, you know, I had a conversation before church. This is what the end times, this is our view on end times and this is why and this is the word of God and this is how it works in your heart. And when they get on fire, listen, when you have new believers who are in your church and they're going to believers, individuals who've been saved for a long time and they're all excited. They're like, I just learned this from the word of God. All of a sudden experienced Christians are like, I should be reading my Bible again. I, I, should, I should be as excited as them. And, and then... They want to get involved in ministry. When's, they're asking, when's the next men's Bible study? When's the next ladies' Bible study? What can I get involved in in the church? Because I just read in the Bible that I'm supposed to have a, I have a spiritual gift and I don't even have a clue what a spiritual gift is, but I'm supposed to be using it in the church. Where can I use it? Then I'm like, oh, we need to get some spiritual gift inventories, some tests for you to take because we're gonna, we want to put you in the right place and we want to get you involved in ministry. And then they get excited and then, other people get excited and then it becomes, Sunday mornings become times of anticipation of what the Lord's going to be doing. Our job is to fish. It's God's job to fill the boat. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 3 and we're going to be done. Luke 5 verses 3 to 6. This is what the Bible says. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said to him, Master, we toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had this done, he enclosed a great multitude of fishes that there net break. Do you know what we're praying for Ridge Point Baptist Church? That the Lord would give you such a harvest of souls that your nets would break. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe you can share it with your friends. Hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media. And tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. 
God bless.